Hey, this is Russ Bateman from Roleplay Above Greater. We're here with Mike Olson, uh, who is one of the designers of Fate Core, and he previously worked on the Fate version of the Kerberos Club, Strange Fate, uh, and he's now working on Atomic Robo and a new superhero role-playing game for Art Dream. Uh, titled yet? Or not? Uh, no. Untitled. If anyone has any ideas, <laughs> let me know. Working title. Uh, well, actually, the working title has been... Uh, Wild Talents Fate, abbreviated WTF. <laughs> I like that. Uh, WTF. That would be the best way to describe it. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. So first off, uh, the Fate rules are uh, Fate system role playing games are getting to be more popular ever since Spirit of the Century and Dresden Files. There's been sort of art. Yeah, uh, yeah. Dresden Files certainly did a lot for it, but the Kickstarter yeah. guarantees you that if you play Fate, there are ten thousand one hundred and three other people yeah. out there who have the rules. Yeah, the Fate Core Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's talk about Fate Core because that's a big thing right yeah. now. Um, there's on sale now at Gen Con 2013. Mm-hmm. Of course, Kickstarter backers like myself have already gotten a copy and we've started reading through it. And of course, the PDF has been available for months. So, right. uh, getting a lot of buzz. So, like, you're one of the, your name is on the cover. So I know, it's crazy. <laughs> so tell us about uh, working on Fate Core, how you got it and what the story behind it was. Um, I got it because uh, of Atomic Robo. Um, uh, so Brian Clevenger contact, contacted me in December of 2011, which is an awfully long time ago now, <laughs> now that I say it out loud, Yeah. Um, about doing an Atomic Robo game, and I, I didn't know, I wasn't familiar with Atomic Robo. I, I feel like I'd seen the name at San Diego Comic-Con, but like I yeah. didn't, hadn't read the comic. And uh, he said, we want to do an RPG of this, and I just read... Uh, the Fate Edition of Kerberos Club, and thought that'd be great for this. Um, Is that why he contacted you? Because, yeah. yeah. He said he, it was the first game system he'd seen where he could build Robo exactly as he wanted him, and yeah. like, Robo came out exactly you know, as he should be. Okay. Um, and uh, so, so go ahead. Well, um, so that was the first game, like, out of all game systems, not just Fate, like, he, did he mention, like, Wild Talents or Music Master? Uh, no, the, you know, Scott Wagner's a big Savage Worlds fan, and yeah. had run Atomic Robo games in Savage Worlds before. Yeah. So I imagine that's where he's coming from, but um, Brian uh, was also, uh, like, a World of Darkness storyteller system yeah. uh, fan, and what else? I know he played Palladium, he played, like, Rifts. He's, two, he's, one, of those guys. he's one of those guys in the 90s, whatever. Yeah. Um, so uh, he sent me a few issues of the comic, and I read like a page and a half of one. This is about Fake Core eventually going. Yeah. I read like a page and a half of one comic, and I was like, okay, let's do this immediately because this comic has uh, yeah. already got me. It's, it was really great. So, um, so then we were talking about that, and then he said, oh, by the way, I may have mentioned this on Twitter to Fred Hicks. <laughs> and then I went, well, what does that, what does that mean? Because like, I'm just you know, some guy and uh, like, well, if, if evil hats involved and like, what is that? What does that mean for me? I really didn't know. So I'm like, now I got to go on Twitter and find out what's going on there. So, um, but uh, Fred Hicks being the, the great guy that he is, um, he was like, we're interested in atomic robo. Brian said, I want Mike Olson to do this. And Fred was like, great. And Fred has said online that like, he had some plan to get me anyway for something which I guess we'll never know what that was now but um, so then I was working on Atomic Robo and uh, it turned from like this little thing into a big thing yeah because now it was like a you know a fairly high profile game for Evil Hat right and then Fred said well do you think you could help out with Fake Core like could it, like you, could you put Fake Core uh, put Atomic Robo on hold for a bit and help finish Fake Core and I started working on Fake Core because um, I was working with an older draft of it and I started working out with Brian Engard and Lenny Balsera, and I was like, oh, this is much different. Like, 
so different that the stuff I'd already written for Atomic Robo, a lot of it didn't like didn't work as written didn't anymore. Match, yeah. So and I had to play test it at um, uh, Gen Con. Yeah. So I, I said, well, I can't really stop working on it to work on this because in the playtest I do at Gen Con will be meaningless. So I just had to do them both at the same time. So um, uh, that was a real hectic month of uh, putting stuff together. But uh, yeah, that's how I got it. I owe all my success to Brian Clevenger. Yeah. Um, if he hadn't contacted me about doing that, then I wouldn't be working on, I wouldn't have worked on Fake Core, <laughs> um, as he reminds me every now and then. And I wouldn't have like two years of freelance work from uh, the Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was like? I mean, obviously, I think you know, Fake Core is obviously inspired because a lot of people who read the first versions of Fake, like Dresden Files, <laughs> were kind of intimidated by it. You know, it's a right, lot right. to embrace, yeah. especially with the budget dice and all that. So um, I assume that was one of the major motivations behind Fake Core. Were, yeah. Well, what, what, was yeah. there anything else? Like, it was basically Lenny wanted to write a version of Fake Core that. Or a version of Fate that um, that he'd really want to run and play. Yeah, um, Lenny wants a lighter game than Dresden Files. You know, yeah. he's working on the Fate Accelerated version of Dresden Files now. But uh, that that was basically it. Like he wanted to, he was writing a version of Fate that that he would want as a player or as a you know as as a as a customer. Right. And that's where that came from because I not I'm not sure that. You know, everyone, nobody runs, well, I guess some people do run games as written, but um, I think that Lenny just favors a, a lighter game overall. Like, working yeah. with him was funny because his favorite games are like Cortex Plus and Fiasco. Yeah. And uh, I was like, uh, hey, I get to I get to play Rollmaster again this October. You know? <laughs> um, so, and I had come to fate from Hero System, so like we had definitely <laughs> different, crunch. yeah, different uh, backgrounds. Um, but, uh, so that's I think that was the motivation behind it, and um, uh, it works great. I'm glad he did it because uh, I find it a, a much easier system to use. Um, yeah, no, I, I uh, of course coming from it from my own background, reading Kerberos Club, Strange Fate. I mean, and then looking at Fate Core, uh, I can see a lot of the improvements, but I can also see like the like cutting down the number of player aspects. Yeah, yeah because that's yeah. just. Easy. Some do get tossed by the which place. I think a lot of people have been doing anyway. Yeah. Um, just five aspects. Yeah. I think was a fairly common practice. Well, I think it's also the just fact even if you had the full eight or whatever in the, the first editions, you just forget about some of yeah. them. Like yeah, exactly. Some, some get favored, yeah. some don't. So uh, that's probably so. What kind of um, have you? I assume by now you're starting to get feedback on fake core and like. Uh, um. Yeah. What's uh, the response been like? I. Don't know if I've seen anything other than positive response to that uh, to fake core. There have pe- been people who come up and said like, "Hey, I'm I'm not sure this thing works. Like, I'm not sure how this thing works mechanically. I'm not sure it's working the way you want it to mechanically." Mm-hmm. And that was earlier during the process when we read those things and took that in and you know incorporated it if we felt like it was actually a problem. We yeah, could fix this. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things, yeah, speaking of the, the fake core Kickstarter is very unusual in the fact that you had the stuff ready to go yeah. from day one. Yeah, and that was a, yeah. the, the backers made a big difference there in terms of their feedback and yeah. proofreading stuff like through during the Kickstarter before it got published. Uh, so that was really handy because it definitely came out a better game on the other end than yeah. it was going in. Sure. Um, and I noticed that that's kind of common practice now. Yeah. Like a lot of companies were saying you know, when they run a Kickstarter for an RPG. Yeah. If you back, you get a copy of the thing and then um, to play test at home or do whatever with and then, you know, which I think is a great way to go. Yeah. Like involve, if you involve, Kickstarter is already about building a community, so if you involve that community directly in the process, I think that's 
like Did that. you have a lot of work uh, input into the Kickstarter itself? Or oh, you no, just no. Yeah, you just focus on the rules? I, <laughs> looking at people running Kickstarter makes me hyperventilate. Like, <laughs> uh, like even uh, Brian Engard running his uh, Becoming Kickstarter, which, you know, had was basically just, I want to publish a game. Just This, this is just Becoming. I just want to do that. Even that, like, just seeing updates from him on Twitter saying, like, hey, another $400 to go until this thing. I was like, man, this it's a it's a part-time job running yeah. a Kickstarter. And for Fred, I think that fake Kickstarter was a full-time job. Yeah, with fake, yeah. With you know, it was so just, much. there's just so much involved in it. I, you know, I used to think, yeah, maybe I'll kickstart this game that I was working on. Then I actually saw, as it's got more popular and I've seen more people working on it, I'm like, oh, no way. The standards have raised, I think, since yeah, it started. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just the idea that you have to have a video. That that was the first thing I was like, well, I don't really want to make a video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know for the only Kickstarts I've done, like, the videos have been kind of like, uh, yeah, i got to yeah. rip this Band-Aid off. Yeah, so. you got to do it, apparently. Yeah. Um, and let, let the people do very good ones tend to get uh, do yeah. a little better. So, um, in terms of the... Um, the design part is like how far did how long did you work on it before the the Kickstarter was even raised like or started like we had a we had a complete text and it had been through a round of editing before yeah. the Kickstarter started okay so this is the way to do a Kickstarter for an RPG by the way yeah. have the thing done well, I well I I like Kickstarters Kickstarters for games where like I want to pay for editing I want to pay for art or you know yeah. that stuff is great like that makes sense to me yeah or even just I want to pay to get it printed because that costs money too right yeah but the writing of the thing. You know, fortunately, we're very lucky in that Evil Hat had a lot of uh, liquid assets to pay us for our work <laughs> from Dresden Files, right? That was that was a big deal um, because we could get paid before the Kickstarter happened. But, uh, you know, like, I've written free games. You know, I've, I've, written, I've written a number of role-playing games. No one paid me to write them. <laughs> but if I wanted to get them published, that would be a problem. So it kind of bugs me when people run Kickstarters like, you know... Not to name any names, but like, <laughs> pay me ten thousand dollars to work on this full time for a few months. Yeah, you know, like just uh, I don't know. That uh, yeah, especially they're having a couple of uh, uh, spectacular failures. Yeah, so so it seems yeah. like there's no reason to go into it without a game to show your backers right yeah. away. You shouldn't. You should not go into it without that first. Yeah, I think by now, like, maybe you could get away with that 2009 or something like that, but definitely yeah. not now. And someone did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. So with fate, you know, sort of fake or starting to, to to go out in the groups and everything. Uh, what you kind of you're done with fake core itself, like uh, you're yeah. uh, you're not really. Re- but the Kickstarter has generated yeah. about two years of freelance work. <laughs> the Kickstarter should have been called yeah. uh, "Pay Freelancers for Evil Hat for Two Years" because all the stretch goals, all the stuff that came out of it, there's you know, well the toolkits. Yeah, accelerated. I guess edition. it's coming out. Really accelerated toolkit, Fate Worlds, uh, Shadow of the Century. Um, the uh, Young Centurions game, like so just a ton of stuff came out of it. Yeah, and uh, it's great. You know, I, we just started talking about Shadow of the Century, and uh, Brian Engard and Sean Nittner and I started dividing up work between Engard and myself for that. And um, that's very, it's a really cool uh, project. I'm looking forward to that. But just like, there's no end of work to do for Evil Hat, which is great. Um, it's especially great because Evil Hat is like an exceptionally good company to work for i think yeah I, i've heard a lot of yeah. good things about you get, it you get paid <laughs> that's not you sadly not universal <laughs> it's just I, I think their secret plan is yeah. to make it so good to work for them that working for anyone else feels like oh <laughs> what do you mean I, I don't get paid until after it's published you know that's <laughs> like a real typical 
like did not seem unusual to me, but now, you know, like I sent in a word count, and a few days later, I got a check in the mail. Sorry, this may be, this yeah. may be talking out of school, but um, or crass, but uh, it's a big deal. Yeah. Other RPG publishers, if you can pay your yeah. your people, that's really great. I'm like highly motivated to do more work for Evil Hat for sure, yeah. and that's part of the reason why. Yeah. And not just because that. I mean, also, you know, we talked about doing. Uh, more books for Atomic Robo. Yeah, let's. Yeah, I'd like to talk about that because and, that's. Uh, and Trevor's like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, here's here are my ideas. I can just pitch stuff, and you know, like that's got a good shot of. So that's that. what you're working on right now, though, right? Um, no, right now, um, I'm kind of in a lull. Okay. Uh, well, are you done with your parts for Atomic Robo? Yeah, yeah, I'm waiting for Atomic Robo to come back. Okay. Because um, I know it's it's gonna. Um, and lately I've just been. Like, after Gen Con, that's kind of the end of con season for me. Well, yeah. the gateway is in two weeks in L.A., but uh, I'm not really, like, uh, playtesting anything right. in particular. Uh, I'm still running a couple fake games, but... Um, so, yeah, Shadow's going to be the next big thing. I'm still working on uh, this other Fate Supers game you mentioned at the top. Um, that's kind of a background thing that's always happening. Yeah. Um, that I come back to. And, that's the Art Dream one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's basically updating Strange Fate for a modern It is... Um, well, that was its genesis. Yeah, that was the genesis. Shane, uh, Ivy, and I talked last year about doing a standalone version of Strange Fate because people seem to like it. Yeah. Um, it was which is very flattering. Reason, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, that's good. And um, then Fate Court came out, and I felt like, I don't know if people want to mess with something as... Yeah. Uh, it has as many moving parts as yeah. Strange Fate. That's, like, the best way that I can put it. Um because, like, to me, making skills with a skill-trapping diagram or something is kind of second nature. Like, I can do it. I can just think about it and do it. I don't have to look at the thing. Yeah. You know? um, but I know that that's a lot to deal with for some people, and I'd seen that comment before. Yeah. They're like, well, once you get used to working with that trapping diagram, it makes a lot of sense, and, you know, but it's the once you get used to that yeah. you know, it was a barrier it to entry for people. It is kind of a barrier to entry sort yeah, of like, yeah. 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 Um, so... I wanted to do something that was because I was working on Fake Core at the time. Yeah, and I was like, "Well, this is this takes out a lot of that complexity that was built in, <laughs> necessarily built in because was, I was working from multiple versions of Fate before that because there wasn't one comprehensive version of it. So I was looking at like Dresden Files and Legends of Glare and uh, Diaspora and Spirit of the Century and just like a bunch of other you know Fate games. So um, uh, then I started working on that and I realized, well. Working with Arctream, I have access to all this wild talents stuff, so it's kind of a uh, an unusual combination of wild talents and fate. And then I can use terminology from wild talents and not worry about it. Like I'm not going to pretend that I'm making all this stuff up out of thin air, right? <laughs> like you know, just call a, you know a stat a stat or whatever. And yeah, go with it. Um, so I like what I have, and I play tested it for. Um, I've only gotten to play test it once, but I'm going to play test it more uh, soon. Yeah. Um, but I ran, one of the people I ran it for is a friend of mine who uh, just is number averse and just doesn't want to deal. He just wants dice to have <laughs> colors and feelings written on them. Um, so I ran it. He was part of the group and he liked it fine, even though it had it has a couple things that I think for most players going to most fake players they're going to go like, "What? What is this? this? Isn't like a fake game?" Is that um, like a superpower creation system? Or? No, the superpower creation system is is. Um, Slim down, but no, it's the uh, uh, it's the 
So there, you know, in Strange Faith, there are, are skill tiers. Yeah. You know, for extraordinary, if, if, if mundane to godlike. Yeah, if your tier is higher than the other guys, then for every tier of difference, you replace a fudge die with a d6 in your roll. Um, so, in this thing I'm working on right now, currently there are um, instead of having weapon and armor ratings, there yeah. are damage and armor tiers. Oh, uh, okay. So that um, if your weapon, if your damage tier is higher than the other guy's armor tier, which is Normally you have no armor tier. Right. Just, you can have protection, but you don't have no armor tier. Um, then uh, after you roll and hit, you would roll a d6 for every tier of difference and do that much more damage. And if your armor tier is higher, after yeah. the after the attack, you'd roll a d6 for every tier Subtract. higher Subtract. and then subtract that much damage. Wow. So I know that's super weird because it's like a roll after the roll in yeah. Fate, and I understand that's something that could be highly alienating. <laughs> but right now, that's what it looks like. And uh, it works fine. And I agree that it does seem weird at first, but once we did it, like, I don't know, it, it worked okay. So I'll keep playtesting it and see. But that, to me, is the really super weird thing about about that. That um, uh, I, that I that's, that's the thing I know people are going to, like, balk at. Yeah. What? I mean, for most big games, it's just like one roll and you're done. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, it didn't seem to be an added layer of fiddliness or difficulty for us. Right. And, you know, again, lots of times if you're... You know, equally matched. You're not going to be making any roll after the yeah. fact. So, like if your tiers are the same, you don't make another roll. Most people fighting each other. You know, two mundane humans fighting each other aren't yeah. going to make a separate roll for damage and armor. So, yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. This seemed like the most. I don't like. I don't. I kind of don't like flat weapon and armor ratings so much. We I use them a lot, but like I want a. I want a different thing. Yeah, something that's more a little more dynamic or right. Well, fun. especially it's more thematically appropriate for superhero stuff. Yeah, where you can have like yeah. a gun versus you know the disintegr the, the ultimate copper yeah. nullifier or whatever. Yeah. So um, for uh, I wrote a weapon and armor rating hack for the toolkit that's yeah. um, using different colored dice, and I use that. I run um, like a D and D ish fake core game at uh, Strategicon conventions yeah. in LA. I've been doing slowly spooling out like. I guess a campaign using the same PCs <laughs> and uh, just, just different players. Yeah, just a just a new chunk of I guess an ongoing story as we go. And I used the red and blue dice hack yeah. for um, for that game, and it works great. So um, uh, you know, I just basically I'm always looking for some other way to reflect that. And lots of times I don't care. Spirit of the Century, I really don't care about yeah. weapons and armor because it's pulp, and it doesn't right. matter. I can punch you as well as you can shoot me. That's fine. Right. Right. Um, but uh, supers, it just feels like you need more, you know, something else there. Right, because you're and, uh, punching out buildings. Of the yeah, studio. yeah. And I didn't want just, well, the Hulk is super strong, so he has, yeah. you know, cosmic fists. Because yeah. he's not the best fighter, but he's really strong. Yeah. I want another way to reflect yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. If you make it to where it's just like, in order to be dangerous, you just have a higher skill rating yeah. than, like, yeah. the Hulk becomes a Because I like ninja, inaccurate yeah. but damaging and accurate yeah. but not as damaging. Like, I, right. I like having those two axes. Right. So, um... That's a good way to put it. Uh, so, that seemed like a good way to do it to me. So, going back to Atomic Robo, yeah. uh, what kind of new ideas uh, Fate Core players, or people who are used to Fate Core, right. like, what, what's new about that? That's going, oh my god, that's great. Uh, well, there are a number of little things. Um... First of all, from the start, we wanted that game to be something that you would sit down and play, and not something you sit down and go, let's go through an hour of talking about who our characters are. Right. Writing. So there's no phases. Okay. You all know each other because you're all action scientists. Done. Okay. <laughs> you all, we don't have to go into your backgrounds. If you read the comic, um, you know, action scientists, it's not about their personal lives. It's about what they're 
doing yeah. now for Teslodyne. So um, there, we don't go through background phases to try to tie everyone together and stuff. You have, um, uh, you'll just write down one aspect to start your concept aspect, mm -hmm. and that's it. And then everything, all the other aspects you fill in during play. That's that's a default character oh, creation. So, oh, dynamic. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you just like action scientists in the books. Um, we kind of find out who they are as we go. Like Lang is a face in the background. She's talking to Vic about why these ants are giant. And then as we read through the comic, we realize like, oh, she's like a real good fighting person and she yeah. loves guns and she you know we get to find out what she's about as we go and that's how you make a character too like, I would really like yeah because Fate like the the few one shots I've run of a Fate game have been like I generate pre-gen yeah, yeah like, but otherwise it, it takes too long yeah yeah, that, I know that's a real uh, double-edged sword I like yeah. making pre-gens because it can it lets me really focus a game on a thing yeah. but it also work, so yeah. Um, but it's fun, but it's work. <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing is just like, especially like Spirit of the Century, for example, is like, even if the players knew the system, they could like do the aspect, like, okay, I right. was in your adventure real quickly. Then you have all the stunts, and right. picking stunts out of a book takes a while because you have to. Well, yeah, them. and uh, it amazed me, like Morgan Ellis and I, when we run fake games at Strategicon, mm -hmm. we would we would make characters with all the phases. Like, we'd write a paragraph for each phase for every character we made. We might run, like, a couple games right. at a convention that, you know, were different scenarios. And it was, uh, looking back on it now, it's just, like, shocking that uh, we would go through all that trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and then we came to, like, we'll just write three phases, and then we'll do the guest star phase, you know. Or um, let's see the aspect's blank for every phase. You fill in the aspects for the phases. But then you're still coming up with, like, eight aspects or ten aspects, which is, like... A little much, yeah. Um, so uh, uh, this does away with all of that. There's no none of the phases. So that that's one big thing. The other big thing is that you don't pick your skills individually. You we're talking about default character creation, which is meant to be really fast. Right. Um, you pick. Um, there are four skill modes, which are like groups of skills. Mm -hmm. And when you make your character, you'll pick three of them. You rate one at three, one at two, one at one. Mm -hmm. And every mode is a package of skills. So there's an action mode, the banter mode, intrigue mode, and science mode. Mm -hmm. So action mode is like action hero -y type stuff. Banter is social talking. Intrigue is like sneaking, breaking into places. And science so all is characters all basically rank those, yeah. those groups. Yeah. Well, there's one that you don't have. Okay. Right. Um, and you can make your own modes. These are weird characters. Yeah. You can make your own weird modes and weird skills and Giant stuff. Giant robot pilot. Yeah, yeah like, uh, you know, Robo's modes, modern-day Robo, his modes are action science robot. So mm -hmm. he has robot, and he is an action science robot. Um, and Dr. Dinosaur is uh, dinosaur crystals action. Like, <laughs> um, you know, so you can... It, it gives you a way of thinking... For me, I like making characters with the modes because I think, what are the three things about this character that are important... Okay. Um, and then I nail those down. And so modes let me do that, and then I just rank them in order, you know, highest to lowest, yeah. of most important to the character at this time. Like, Robo's always good at science, but sometimes he cares less about science in the stories than right. other times. So lots, lots of mid-century stories. He's doing a lot of flying around, shooting and punching and all this stuff, that's and true. not sitting in a lab doing stuff. Nazi punching. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, so that's, that's a big change. Yeah. Because... Um, you're not picking ten individual skills. You're picking three modes. And okay. The modes interact. We said that there are four total. There are four standard modes, okay. and then any number of weird modes you can make. The book has about a dozen examples of weird modes, okay. and then there are like fifteen thousand words of character write-ups, and a lot of the characters written up in that chapter have weird modes themselves. So there's plenty so of examples of how to make, you know, what a character looks like. Okay. Um, so that's a thing. 
so from the player side, those are both the big deals, right? right? You write down one aspect, and you pick your three modes. You name your character. You're done. Oh, and that's then you start playing. Be great for watch so that's but that's the idea. Yeah. Like, and the first phase of the playtest was that. Like, I'd show up. Either have char- people make characters like that, or yeah. I give them proto PCs that had their modes picked out, but like nothing, not really much else, and they would right. fill in the rest as you go. So what that means is that um, if you're uh, in a fight and you're trying to punch a guy, and you miss, and you're like, "Well, I wish I was better at fighting." Yeah, that's fine. You just use a skill improvement to bump up your combat in the moment after you've rolled. Bump up yeah. combat by a couple notches. And then you could give yourself an aspect about being a you know, Krav Maga expert or something. Right. Um, and then you could also, if you wanted to, give yourself a stunt in the moment that you're uh, extra good at combat with punching guys. And then suddenly you get a plus six to your roll. Um, the other thing is that you there's no refresh in the game. Refresh okay. isn't used as a means of like measuring a character's power or anything. Um, you start with one aspect or one fate point per aspect you have on your sheet. So if you do start with just the concept aspect, you start with one fate point. Every time you fill in a new aspect, uh, the GM gives you a fate point. Okay. So you have to say, like, okay, I'm giving myself a new aspect now. I'm an international man of science or you know, something like that. And then the GM will give you a fate point. And then you can spend that fate point immediately to invoke that aspect you just made up about yourself. <laughs> that's something that's important yeah. about you now. Um, or uh, not, or hoard it. But um, uh, it means that, first of all, it incentivizes you with something concrete like yeah. to add to your character as you go and also it's a nice I found that it's a, it's a nice bit of uh, spotlight time for you like things kind of have to pause for a bit which I don't think is a problem while you say something else that's great about your character and everyone yeah. goes oh that's awesome and then we how many of those it. like slots or how many times can a player do that before it's there like, are you have five aspects total so you, you have can a concept aspect yeah. one aspect per mode yeah and then uh, what's called an omega aspect which just means uh, an unclassified aspect just okay. like some other aspect wild card yeah so you don't have a trouble because yeah. again action scientists they aren't really about the trouble I've seen right. they don't have like personal problems they're working through and if they're hunted by Helsingard that's a bigger problem than just them you know um, that would be a problem for Tesladyne or uh, you know like a just on a greater scale characters right. are very attached to their factions right. or organizations so um, but that that free aspect, that Omega aspect, uh, is just, you know, like if you want to be a big comic book fan, you could be a big comic book fan and not worry about trying to squeeze that into some other mode. Or right. if you wanted to, I don't know, just say something about your personality that doesn't fit into another mode well, then you right. can do that there. Uh, so that was the idea with uh, with that. Oh, okay. Um, but the players can't just infinitely do that. No. Right? Yeah. No. So. You only have four more times you can do that. And yeah. then you can you can um, change swap out an aspect at a, a milestone, okay. But you don't get a fate point like for it, that because you already have an aspect on your sheet. So okay, so like every adventure they can like every I think it's every volume, every which volume. is a Linked so a, a single session is called an issue. Yeah. Then five or six sessions together is a volume. It's like a full story arc. Okay. Um, so I think it's every volume you're. So you don't really have like the adventure campaign model. It's like no, because adventure. that's not how Robo works. Yeah. That's you know, true. Yeah, not like, until volumes six, uh, eight, and I think ten. Do is there like a consistent arc across volumes? Yeah, um, it just doesn't happen in Robo. Like if you're reading volume eight now, it happens right on the heels of volume six. Yeah, but that's the first time that's happened, and that's kind of unusual. So I, it's not as a default model for a game. There's 
there was another mechanism for advancement that works off of having completed multiple volumes and you know so there's there's still that mm -hmm. um, but uh, uh, it doesn't use quite the same advancement mechanism as Fate Core does. Now you mentioned uh, I know we talked earlier you're talking about uh, organizations in Robo yeah. like they have uh, their own skills or resources. Right. That... Um, so resources isn't a skill in yeah. Atomic Robo. It's a skill mode yeah. for organizations. They only have one. It's called resources. Okay. And um, so you usually in the stories Tesla Alliance is something that exists to support the action scientists. Yeah. Um, it gets them from point A to point B. If they need, uh, you know, equipment, kind of weaponry device. or yeah, something, yeah. it provides that. Yeah. Uh, if they need to uh, investigate something, they can, um, you know, send it down to some department and um, the resident scientists at Tesladyne check it out. Lab boys you know, take care of it, yeah. Um, or provide some facilities to do that themselves if they want to do that themselves. So that's that's what organizations are. They're a, they're a support system. Okay. Um, organizations like... There aren't armies that from one organization to another that fight each other. Like Majestic Twelve wants to get that Robo, but they don't just send in a horde of soldiers to get him. Right. Ordinarily, I know Volume Six is that actually does happen at the end of Volume Six, but it's still a bunch of guys attacking some other guys, and not this high-level army versus army thing. So organizations don't um, act and attack and defend, you know, mm -hmm. one another. Um, an organization has. Um, when you complete a volume, yeah. uh, an organ you, the players will work together to name that volume, and then the organization gets an aspect that's the name of the volume. Oh, okay. So um, if you've, you know, if you've read Volume Five, The Deadly Art of Science, once you complete that arc, and then you all talk about what should this volume be called, and someone says The Deadly Art of Science, and great name, and then you write that down as an aspect for the organization, and then that's actually it's a faction, but, and then that's something that you can invoke. You know, you can use later, like, oh, remember that time in uh, you yeah, know, yeah. Deadly Art of Science when that thing happened? Well, I'm going to do that again here. Okay. So over time, the faction accrues the history of the of the PCs, basically. Okay. Not that they're always the same PCs. They might not be. If you skip around in time, maybe Robo is the only PC who's consistent. But, you know, if you do a story in the 50s and then do a story in the 90s, you're probably not going to have the same PCs other than Robo. But Tesladyne is still Tesladyne. And uh, that will be consistent anyway. Okay. Um, but they have limited, like, either they can only make so many skill checks or resources checks um, to well, help they, the PCs. I mean, it's not a blank check for the PCs to get No, no, but it's something like, um, but their, their uh, um, skills are, they don't have any stunts. Their yeah. skills around the whole are, are a little lower than the PCs because mm -hmm. they're resident scientists. They're really good at what they do. Right. No offense, resident scientists, but they're <laughs> not action scientists. So usually how it works is the PCs are out in the field and they get something they want someone to deal with it while they deal with something else. Do the so they will send like that or, thing yeah. back to Tesladyne or yeah. say, like, hey, check the, what are these coordinates or check that out. Yeah. And then, um, you know, one of the players will make a role for the organization, organization and then okay. they'll do that. But if they're back at HQ mm -hmm. and they want to do that themselves, they get to make their own skill role and then add one, add the bonus from one relevant skill from Tesladyne to their okay. result. Because, like, why shouldn't they massively succeed when they're working with all the resources that yeah. their faction has? Like, you should be able to do that. So uh, I don't mind, like, big success in yeah. in, the, in this game. Well, that, that's what really it's thematically appropriate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, what's, do you know what the ETA for Atomic Robo right now is? Uh, it's in layout. Yeah. That's my, uh, what I want to say, that's my uh, reflex answer to that question. It's in layout. <laughs> um, so that part's out of my hands, but... Um, 
uh, soon ish. That's all I know, honestly. I would give you a better answer if I could. I, and I, I wish we had it um, here for Gen Con, but um, yeah, no, it, you know, it happens. Like yeah. uh, Jeremy Keller is great, but he's only one guy, and he had Fake Core to do. And yeah. Oh, he's doing this yeah. too. So he he did the layout for Fake Core that happened in the middle of Robo. So yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I haven't always been. Um, Johnny on the spot with everything myself all the time. I got yeah. two kids. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So soon is the best answer that I can give. Okay. Okay. But soon's better than later. So. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, looking forward to it. We'll have to uh, get a copy of our PPR and uh, try it out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it would be great for a one shot. Well, we'll probably do a volume now because like a five six yeah. episode thing would be great. Uh, any uh, anything else? Uh, any other? Uh, games or anything you want to plug before uh, yeah, we go. Any plugs? Today? Yeah, yeah. Plugs. Uh, let's open up the old plug bag. Yeah. Um, well, we talked at the we had an Evil Hat panel on yeah. Thursday, where we talked about uh, what else is on the sketch. Yeah. And um, there was uh, we talked about Fate Worlds. Those yeah. Books are coming out. Um, I worked. I was a system editor guy on, on Camelot Trigger, so I'm like yeah. interested in those books coming out. And the Fate System Toolkit, which if you were a backer of the uh, Kickstarter, you've already seen. But yeah, um, that's going to be an awesome book. I like books like that, like the Cortex Plus Hacker's Guide. And books are just about messing with you yeah. know, systems. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that book coming out because that was, that was fun to write. Um, and uh, let's see, I guess, I guess that is it for now. I'm probably forgetting something. Someone <laughs> out there is howling in rage. Yeah, but um, no, I think we can close up the old plug bag. Okay, <laughs> well, Before those uh, plugs get out. All right, well, thanks a lot for uh, doing the interview. I'm yeah, looking thank you. forward to uh, getting my hands on Atomic Robo. Me too. <laughs> no one's looking forward to it more than me. No one, no one's been more excited about it than me, and no one's looking forward to getting it more than me. Honestly. <laughs> all right, uh, we'll start with Robo and We'll take you guys next time. Cool.